do this. Okay, we're doing a we're I'm doing a quick little breakdown of the Pascal Siakam trade between the Indiana Pacers and the Toronto Raptors. So let's just get down with the the details before we get into any of the takes. Okay, so the details of this are pretty basic. Um the Raptors are sending just Pascal Siakam to the Indiana Pacers. Um, and the Pacers are sending the Raptors Bruce Brown. I believe he's on a one-year, like $22 million contract. Uh, they signed this offseason, really overpaid him in terms of like what his average annual value was. But clearly, good decision to give him that contract because it a lot of salary allowed them to upgrade without sending out more pieces. They also sent Jordan Nawara and three first-round picks to the Toronto Raptors. Um, of those three first-round picks, only two are actually the Pacers. It's a, their 2024 pick this season, which isn't super valuable because they're going to make the playoffs. They are they have a good chance to, for that pick to finish in the 20s. And then they're sending a pick they have this season that is, listen to this, it's Indiana's own selection, and then they're sending the lesser of a Utah, Houston, Clippers, Oklahoma City pick. So if it's the lesser of all of those teams, then you're looking at a very late first-round pick. Um, so two pretty two picks likely to be in the 20s in 2024, and this is not particularly strong draft, particularly at the top, so not the best assets. And then they're also sending their 2026 first-round picks. Uh, what hasn't been reported, and maybe it's because it's not relevant, is any protections on the Pacers' own picks. I can't imagine they put a protection on the 2024 pick just because of where they are in the standings. The 2026 pick, maybe they threw some protections on. And that, depending on how significant they are, could change the value of the deal for Toronto, but I doubt it really will. The Pelicans hopped in here um, as a third team, and uh, they're sending Kira Lewis to the Raptors and the and a second-round pick to the Pacers. So really, the Pacers are getting Siakam in a second-round pick for Bruce Brown, Jordan Nawara, their 2024 first, a pretty irrelevant in the grand scheme of things, first round pick also in 2024, and then the 2026 pick. Um, the Raptors get Bruce Brown, Jordan Nawara, and Kira Lewis. Now, let's just break this down for the Pacers, because I think that's obviously the most... They're the, they're the team that got the best play. Um, Siakam is an excellent player. He's going to turn 30 on April 2nd. Um, so he's, you know, still well in his prime. He's a two-time All-Star and a two-time All-NBA recipient. Uh, one of those teams was a second team. Um, I usually, when I talk about players, like to think about them along the lines of how many non, if they're you know, someone that's made multiple All-NBA teams, it's how many non-third team All-NBAs have they made, right? Like, some good players end up on the third team because there's a lot of guys, especially guards. Um, but a lot of times there are these guys that finish third team all NBA because, you know, the best players in the league didn't play a ton of games. And, you know, they're a good player, all-star caliber player, but they played 78 games. And just because they, you know, 
had a good season, ground out the season, they get that third team all NBA. So the fact that he's got a second team, that kind of indicates to you that like he's beyond just a guy like Julius Randle, who has two third team all NBAs, right? Like it means he's a really good player. Um, obviously he won a title with the Raptors. He's been consistently one of the better players in the league over the last, let's see, one, two, three, four, now five seasons. Yeah. This is a massive upgrade for the Pacers. Um, I think the best way to think about Siakam as a player is I like to say he suffers from great, uh, like a lack of gray ink or a lack of black ink, right? And what black and gray ink are, it's not like a super well-known term, but when you go to like baseball reference or like a sports reference page, if a guy leads the league in a stat, the stat will be bolded for that season. And that's black ink, right? So these players, but they're a lot of black ink. They've led the league in something. Gray ink they use for baseball reference for their Hall of Fame tracker. And it's like finishing like top five or something like that in a statistical category. Siakam doesn't do that. Siakam is not a guy who's like going to finish top five or even top 10 really in any statistical marker. But he's going to put, you know, top 30, top 20 marks in all the almost all the major categories and so he's one of these guys where you you kind of look through leaderboards and you're like i don't really see this guy he's not that high up but you the fact that he's in all of the leaderboards is what makes him so valuable he can really do a lot of things well he can really score the ball he can um he's a really a playmaker kind of underrated right like we're talking about a power forward that over the past uh let's see four seasons he's averaged 5.2 5.2 assists, you know, 7.6 boards, 1.1 steals, half a block, only 2.4 turnovers, gets the line a bit, right? You know, the, the one hole in his game, and I think this is why going to the Pacers is really good for him, is he's not a great three-point shooter, right? He's shooting 31.7% this season, and that's obviously not good, but he's only a 32.7% three-point shooter for his career. Even if you eliminate his, like, eliminate his first two seasons where he's, you know, 22% and below, you know, this is a guy who in sense that has been a 33% shooter from three, right? He's not a good three point shooter. I spent a lot of time explaining something that's pretty obvious, but that's not a huge issue for the Pacers because their best player, Tyrese Halliburton, excellent three point shooter. They didn't give up buddy healed, which I think is huge. A huge part of the steal for the Pacers is they didn't give up buddy healed. Who's an awesome three point shooter. They had miles Turner who is not a good three-point shooter, but he is a good three-point shooter for a center that can play as good defense as he can at the rim and in space. So when you have a center that can legitimately space the floor, he's not like an elite floor spacer, but you have to cover him out there. He draws attention. You have a lead ball handler who's dragging defenders away because he's such a lethal deep three-point shooter in Tyrese Halberd. And then you have Buddy Heald, on the wing also spacing the floor it's it's the right type of offensive environment for a siakam to come in and really thrive right because i think the big thing is you look at siakam's stats you're like okay over the last uh five seasons he's about 20 22 points per game type of score efficiency is around league average um it might even be a little bit below this season he's a uh, actually above league average um because he's had his usage rate go down seeding um responsibility scotty barnes but that's kind of the player Siakam is, right? If you make him a high usage vocal point guy, he's still going to be an effective offensive player, but the the shooting efficiency isn't going to be like great. 
if you pare down his usage, he's shown that his efficiency will go up. And I think like that, that trait makes him very attractive to a team like Indiana, where it's like, look, Tyrese Halliburton's not there. He can keep the offensive float, keep things ticking. Tyrese Halliburton is there. He can elevate the offense um, through other means. And, you know, he put up these statistics. We're talking about a guy, you know, put up pretty significant, pretty good box plus minuses, offensive box plus minuses, good win shares. As a guy who's not a great shooter on teams with like really not so great spacing. And he's a guy that likes to work in the mid range, you know, take guys off the dribble. Um, he's to me, he's kind of like a, it's like a Tom Thibodeau type of offensive player. Like give him the rock, let him do his thing. It's going to be slow. It's going to be methodical, but like he's going to get to where he needs to. And he's probably going to get up a pretty good shot or get someone else a pretty good shot. And now in Indiana with the pace that they play at with the spacing that they have, I, I really think all of his offensive traits are going to look significantly better in term for him, you know, because this is the big thing with Indiana trading for him is he's in the final year of his deal and he's made it pretty clear that he wasn't going to give his blessing to the team, to a team that traded for him. And, you know, I think that reportedly scared off the Sacramento Kings, but I think a better way to look at it is look, Siakam's about turn 30. He's a two-time All-NBA player. He's not going to make All-NBA this season, unlikely. So what you're looking at is you're looking at a guy who's not going to get Supermax. Um, and he just got traded. So, like, what you want to think about from his line of thinking is what good does it do him in negotiations if he's, like, agreeing to a contract right now without bidders, right? The the free agent class isn't going to be particularly strong this offseason. He's... He's going to be the best free agent available. So why why take yourself out of that, right? It's not that he doesn't want to stay with the team that traded for him or that he wouldn't even lean towards it. It's that what good does it do him taking himself off the market for like no fucking reason, right? And that to me is what it's more about, right? It's just, it's a negotiation tactic for him and his agent and it's the right one to make, right? I mean- these NBA teams want to have it every which way they can in their favor. It's like, oh, we want to cap how much money you can earn. We want to cap how much money we can spend. And we want you to agree to like taking on X amount of money before we trade for you. It's like, come on, like you can't, you can't have it all right. At the end of the day, I think the Pacers made the right call. They're a good team. They have a chance to host a first round playoff series. Halliburton is injured, not significant injury, but he's out right now. And so getting Siakam right now, I think is like the right time for them to do it. It will help them tread water while Hal burns out. But more importantly, with Halley out, you can have Siakam come in and play with the ball in his hands and really get to know everyone on the Pacers, right? Like know how they like to cut, when they like to cut, where they want the ball, um, how they play off of it, right? Like those things are important. And while he would still be able to do it with Halliburton, it'd probably take a little bit longer and be a little bit more of an adjustment period because he'd have to adjust to playing off of Halliburton which he makes people's lives easier. But I think this will allow him to basically join the Pacers in a role he's comfortable in, a situation that's advantageous for him, get cooking, get going, and then Halliburton comes back. And then instead of having to learn how to play with Halliburton and everyone else, he can just learn how to play with Halliburton, who's very easy to play with. And so it should be a very seamless, good transition for him. I love this 
for Indiana. Um, their offense is amazing. He makes their offense better. And he's a he's not an elite defender, but he's a good defender. And he should make their defense better, which is something they absolutely need to do if they want to win a playoff series. They could maybe win one, honestly, with, with their level of offense. But they win two playoff series, you're going to need better defense. I think this is the right, it's a calculated risk. And as as I explained, like, they didn't really give up that many assets, right? They gave up a 2024 pick that's going to be in the 20s, a 2024 pick that's going to be in the 20s, and their 2026 pick. And if there's protections on it, then like, hooray. Now, they did give up Bruce Brown, who, you know, Bruce Brown is a role player. Very good role player for the Nuggets last season when they won the championship. You know, he leaves the friendly confines of Jokic stand and plays with Tyrese Halliburton, who's also a great offensive player. You know, his efficiency goes down a little bit. You know, the minutes are about the same. The assists are about the same, right? Like, he's he's having about the same level season, but he wasn't going to get, you know, he took the money and he went with it. And I think it ended up being a good idea for Indiana to do that because they had the cap space. They are able to get a good player um, in for a season, overpay him to do that, but it's only one year. There's like no such thing as a bad one-year contract, right? Like teams love expiring contracts for a reason why it's a one-year contract. Pretty, it's pretty basic there. And now they're able to use him to get Pascal Siakam. It's like, you know, you told me when they signed him in the offseason that signing Bruce Brown was going to make it so you could trade for Pascal Siakam and not have to move Buddy Heal. Like, yeah, that's a good, that's a good, it's a good decision. Um, Brown, you know, we'll see how he does in Toronto. I doubt they'll be able to really move him for much of anything because he is making so much money that just like the amount of talent some team would have to send back would be pretty significant. I think, you know, like the Thunder could send like Davis Bertans and like maybe someone else and like get him, but like I don't really think they need Bruce Brown. So, you know, he could be a name to monitor as a as another trade candidate, but chances are let's play out the season and go get us like, you know, another free agent deal, this time for less money on a single season, but more money over the course of a longer period of time. They did have to go up Jordan Nora, who, you know, he's he's not Pascal Siakam. He's playing 10 minutes a night. He's 25, right? Like that's that's pretty much that's pretty much a throw in, right? Like, that's just like, let's make the math work. Um, really, they just, they went for the picks. And I think that makes sense, right? If you look what the Raptors are doing when they traded OG Ananobi, they prioritized getting players. They got RJ Barrett, who I'm not a huge fan of, but he's played pretty well in Toronto. And more importantly, they got Emmanuel Quickly. Quickly's a really good player. They're going to have to sign him um, this offseason because uh, the Knicks did not extend him, which I didn't understand, but, you know, they moved him. So, whatever. Um, and so this, this trade, they're like, well, let's go get picks. Um, they didn't get great picks. Uh, I think if they tried to move Pascal Siakam this summer or last uh, last trade deadline, they would have gotten significantly, maybe not more trade assets and like raw total picks, maybe not more than three picks, but they would have gotten better picks, right? And I think that's kind of, if you're a Raptors fan, you're looking at this, it's like, I think they got fair value for Siakam. Right? He's in the final year of his deal and he's not telling a team that he's like really interested. He's, he's telling every team pretty much he's interested in exploring free agency when his deal is up. You're not going to get in, you know, makes $38 million of send like Brown, 38 million, 30 plus million in salary to get him. Right. Like that's, that's significant talent exodus for half a season of production on top of the draft picks. Right. So like, 
the Raptors were long considered to be one of the best front offices, best organizations out there. And they, you know, they just operate differently. I think, I think that's one of these things where people are very critical of how they operate because they don't operate like other teams do. They're not as pick focused. They're not as, you know, they want the team to be good. They, they believe in their dudes. They're, they're willing. There's that whole adage that Bill Belichick was famous for at the Patriots. It's like better get rid of a player a year early than a year late. And the Pistons are not the Pistons. Excuse me. Pistons suck. Um, that's another story. Um, the Raptors are just like, you know, it's better to hold on to good players for a year too long. Right. Like, and like that seems to be like what they're willing to do. It, these trade returns have been pretty underwhelming, but you know, Scotty Barn looks really good. Emmanuel quickly looks good. RJ Barrett's looked good. Like, and we'll see if Grady Dick becomes anything. He's barely played, but like, you know, if I were the Raptors, and I'm not, and they haven't really operated like this, but you know, they're entering a new direction. So when teams do that, they tend to start behaving a bit differently. Uh, this is a pretty weak draft, and those late 2024 picks aren't super valuable to a team like them. That's I'm not saying they're in a rebuild, but they are. Um, more they'll say like we're retooling. Um, that's fine. Reach you know, retool, rebuild. There's a re in there, which means, you know, it's same, 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 but different. And what I would do is like what we've seen the past few seasons with the Denver Nuggets and a lot of these contenders, what they'll do is they'll they'll trade like future pick swaps and like future first round picks for a late first round pick this season or like in that draft. And if I were the Raptors, I would be shopping those picks now two contenders that have an immediate need to draft a three or four year college player who can come in right away, do a job, provide value over the life of their rookie deal because those rookie deals are so cheap, especially late in the first round. Like that's who I'd be selling that to. And like, I don't know if the Raptors are going to do that, but I just don't see like, you know, I just don't see the value in them adding a player like that right now. And at the very least, I don't see them, the value in adding two players like that right now right like if it, you know they use one of them trade the other one they don't have to trade both they could do that or they could package them to move up all sorts of good stuff like that but like that's what i'd be doing if i was with the picks um yeah the pelicans work their way in here um i think it's about saving money i haven't really taken a look but um i don't think it really matters kira lewis is like he's not very good um you know, he's he's kind of been a what was he? He's the 13th. I mean, he's a 13th overall pick, right? Like people will be like, oh, he's a lottery pick. You know, he hasn't he hasn't, you know, he doesn't play, he hasn't been shit. It's like, dude, like that's what happens. There's like a a lot of a lot of guys that are drafted in this range end up being nothing burger players, right? Like, you know, you have the guys like Giannis who end up becoming superstars. But if I just like pull up my spreadsheet real quick and go look at the average career vorp of a 13th overall pick. Let's go take a look at this bad boy and tell you why Kira Lewis, you know, is kind of, you know, it's a 13th pick isn't so great. Uh, let's see. It is. It is oh my God. I'm sorry. Average career VORP for the 13th pick is 8.69 VORP, which is 23.45 wins above replacement. Um, let's see the median, the median 
not the average, because obviously average and median can tell you two very different things. And I think that's why they're both good to look at. The median VORP for a 13th pick is two, right? Which is about 5.4 war over the life of their entire career, right? So, like, I, I think, you know, Kirillus, right? Whatever. He's a throw in, blah, blah, blah. I don't, I clearly, clearly the, the, the Raptors wanted him. But I think it was more they were willing to take on the rest of his deal and the and the Pelicans were looking to save a little bit of money and they're willing it to pay a second round pick because they also have a fair amount of picks coming, especially first round ones. Okay, so let's just like quickly go over what I completely think about this trade. I love it for Indiana. Um, I think it's fine for Toronto. I think, you know, with the Siakam situation, I think it's pretty easy to say they didn't do the best job of managing his trade value and getting the most assets out of him as a player. I just don't think that's how they operate as a front office. I don't think that's their focus. I don't think that's great. Um, They could have gotten way more for him if they had moved him earlier. And like what they made the play in last season, whoop-de-doo this season, they weren't really even in the, you know, I think might've been in the play in picture, but like, once again, like the play in, isn't really what you should be gunning for if you're an NBA team, unless you're starting from the bottom, you're building to the play-in, then the playoffs, right? But if you've been in the playoffs and then you're in the play-in, you're heading in the wrong direction and trying to stay there is, it's usually a losing proposition. Very few teams go from playoffs to play-in to playoffs to contender, right? Like that, that track, doesn't usually happen. And he's like looked at like the age of their players and their core. And I was like, yeah, that's that's not gonna happen. But even still, you know, they got that 2026 pick is fine. So uh, those two ones in 2024, I mean, they're first round picks, right? Like first round picks are outside of honestly, outside of like the top 10 picks, like really they're they're not that good. So, you know. If your team gets a top 10 protected first round pick, like good and good, like you get a chance, a low probability chance of getting a good NBA player. Usually you're just getting a guy that's like, you know, keeping a uh, keeping a seat warm for someone that's, you know, a top 10 pick. Um, I guess the final thing to say is, you know, Siakam has been long available and there have been some teams like the Kings that were rumored to be interested in him and they're other teams that are real contenders, right? Like Indiana, I like this for them. They're going to be better. They're headed in the right direction. They're not real contenders. Um, they might never be real contenders. I don't think this is an organization that thinks about the team like that, which is fine. I think they want to be as good as possible. They want to be good. They want to have a good product. And this helps do that. Um, but, you know, Philadelphia do the James Harden trade had some assets that they could have used to like, I think get Siakam. They definitely have a salary expiring salary to get Siakam. He's Cameroonian. Joel Embiid's Cameroonian, right? Like he's played with Nick nurse. Nick nurse is the coach there now, right? Like that stylistically, I understand that maybe not being so great because of Embiid liking to work out of the nail, really killing in the mid range and Siakam not being an excellent floor spacer. 
and you're not going to be like, hey, Embiid, like, you know, we're giving 10 of those possessions you get at the nail to Siakam now. Like, you're just not doing that. That's that's stupid. So, like, I get that, but, like, Siakam is a good player, and he would have made the Sixers, I think, better. I think it would have raised their playoff upside a bit, um, and they decide not to go for it. They've, they're, they've been so good that I get it, but I'm a big believer, and I think Daryl Moore has even said that. If you have, like, a 5% chance of the championship, you do whatever the fuck you can to win it. They have a 5% chance of the championship. Like, I, I think, you know, saying of the teams here, they have, uh, if there's 20 slices of championship pie, they have one of them. Um, I think Siakam makes that slice a little bit bigger. Um, and so, yeah, like, I think they could have made a move for him. I don't hate that they don't, but like, you know, they're doing this weird, like, we have all the cash space in the world. It's like, cool. I guess you could go sign Pascal Siakam then. But, you know, Embiid is like 30. He's playing absurdly well. Yeah, I, I think it's a bit of a missed opportunity, but I get why they didn't do it. I maybe they had talks, maybe stuff got hung up, maybe they just are like, I we think Tobias Harris is a better fit, and maybe Tobias Harris is a better fit, but sometimes you gotta, you know, there's this tension between fit and talent. I think Siaka might not be as good a fit as Harris, but like he's a better talent, and I think like sometimes you gotta make that call. Um, it's not never easy. I do think the Thunder really could have done it right like if those three shit those not three shitty two shitty first round picks and one potentially decent first round pick plus you know whatever salary they needed because it's not like the raptors got players back that they're like oh fuck yeah we got these players they they, they got players to fill the salary requirements to make nba trades work um i do think the thunder could have offered like thunder could have offered like i would have I would have thought a better package if I'm like the fucking Raptors. I would have rather had like Josh Giddy, Davis Bertans, maybe another salary to like make the shit work and like one first round pick. And like they wouldn't even have to give up one of their own first round picks. And like I would have preferred that if I were the the Raptors, right? Like, you know, I think that ends up being a better trade for them. I don't think OKC was like super interested in Siakam. I don't know why, right? Like Giddy's been kind of their power forward-ish type player, wing player, right? You can have multiple guys out there. And he puts Siakam out there at power forward with Chet, SGA, Ludor, Jalen Williams. I mean, like just listing that that, that lineup out, off, it's like, wow. Like I know, you know, Siakam can't really shoot, but neither can Giddy, right? Like Giddy, whatever his three-point percentage is, is somewhat irrelevant to me from at least a floor spacing perspective, just because we're talking about a guy like he hits his threes, but they're wide open. They're giving it to him. They're begging him to shoot that shit. Right. And when you're like, when you're doing that, when teams are begging you to shoot threes and let's go see what his percentage is. It's 36%, not bad, but it's only 2.7 attempts, right? Like it's just like, to me, Siakam to Giddy isn't a shooting downgrade for at least, even from three point range. I think it's like relatively the same level of three point shooting. He's a better defender. He's a better scorer. You know, is he a better passer? I don't think so. But like, he's also a guy you can give the ball and have him create offense and pass out of that in a way Giddy can't. So like, I think the playmaking is basically the same. I think they should have consider been more aggressive in that right like they're, they're similar to philadelphia like they're super fucking good they're way younger and their best player isn't 30 and have like a significant injury history so like 
that does change things a little bit about what they think their timeline is, but like they can win the title this season. I don't think anyone in the West is that good. Like I love the Nuggets. I'm a huge Jokic fan, but like the Nuggets, I don't think they're that good in that you're like, let's wait for this core to like age a little bit, lose a step before we really go all in. Like they, you can, they can be got this year. Um, the Suns, they haven't done shit yet. Right. Like not, I'm not saying like, oh, they haven't done anything in the playoffs. It's like, they haven't looked that good, even with Bradley Beal back. Like they're fine. They're good. Whatever. Um, you know, Celtics are good. The Bucks are confusing and the Sixers. I think they're good. I just, they're one of the teams it's hard to trust. Um, you know, Nick Nurse plays as starters a ton of minutes and that's going to make like a regular season net rating and like win loss record look really good. And then the playoffs when everyone's playing a ton of minutes, suddenly like that, those advantages that you have, you know, three or four extra minutes a game of your best players out there compared to other teams. Like suddenly like, it's like, Oh wait, like their net rating was, it wasn't a mirage. It's just like, they were juicing it a bit. Um, yeah, I, I think the Thunder probably missed out a little bit. Like they have so many picks they that they can't use that like, like go get Siakam. Fuck, like you can even let him walk, even if you don't want to re-sign him. Like giving up on giving up on fucking Giddy and like some first round picks you don't you want. Like I, I don't see. Like, that's like, whatever. They have so much shit anyways, it doesn't matter. So I think they kind of missed the boat there. The Kings apparently were interested. You know, he Siakam wouldn't commit to him long-term. They didn't want to, like, push their remaining chips in to do that, which I kind of understand. But it's like, you're the fucking Kings. I do think there's a bit of a fit issue with him there because he's not a shooter. And, you know, De'Aaron Fox's shooting has gotten better, but, like, he's not a floor spacer in that way. And Sabonis is a non-floor spacer, and he does all the stuff in the dribble handoff you know, kind of taking up similar spaces that like Siakam likes to operate with. And when he has the ball and like, you know, Sabonis isn't going to like go out there and like drag a defender away. I can see that being an issue, but like, this is a team that like led the league in offense last season. I think they're like 17th. Are they 17th? Let's go take a look. Sorry for not having all the, the data up right away, but you know, sometimes that's the way it goes. Um, but yeah, the Kings, their offense has really taken a step back this year. Their defense has actually kind of been a little bit better, but nothing. Yeah, they're 14th in offense. They're 17th in defense, right? Like Siakam, let's say he's not a great fit, but he boosts your offense, you know, from point one six nine to point. Let's just say he's worth one point to point one one seven point nine of offensive rating. I get to see from 14th. All the way into 11th, and he boosts your defense a little bit. Let's say one point as well, right? He's worth two points per 100 possessions. That's, I don't know if that makes sense, but like his box with minus is right around there. So, like, that seems not insane. You know, suddenly their 17th ranked defense, if it improves by one point, all of a sudden goes into 15th place. And so, suddenly, you know, they're 11th and 15th, right? Like a better net rating. Like, you know, like they, they look better. I, I don't know. It's, <laughs> Siakam's really good. I think Indiana's the best spot for him. I think they're the team that should have been the most aggressive, but there is no one else out there on the market that can improve your team like Siakam can, at least at this trade deadline. And I know teams don't love making big moves at the trade deadline, at least historically, but I think those things, those times are changing. All these teams got on the bubble of either being a real, real, real championship contender or like being like a solid, good playoff team that Kind of let this one slip through their hands. I get it, but you know, the Pacers are going to be really good, 
and those other teams aren't going to be as good. So see how that fucking plays out. Okay, yeah. So this is uh, just a quick a little breakdown of what I thought of the trade and all that stuff. If you enjoyed, you know, subscribe, like, whatever. No, whatever. Do that stuff. Um, and yeah. Peace.